Hi, welcome to another episode of QBT, a podcast where two queer babes talk about mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. I am Maddie Germs, and this week we are doing something a little different. We are airing our episode from back in June on the Bold Bitch podcast. Hosts Gia Goodrich, Shawnee, and myself dive into cultural critique, unlearning our childhood stories, growing over time, craving vulnerability, creating a podcast in a pandemic. It's got laughters, it's got tears, it's got everything you need. This episode came out when we were on hiatus over the summer, and we thought our series on race, racism, and mental health would be a perfect time to highlight another creator of color and show y'all a side of us on the other end of the interview hot seat. Next week, we will be back in action rounding out this series with our last guest. Sometimes we at QBT need a mental health break. And so you just remember to take care of yourself gently, reach out to your loved ones, and remind yourself that you too are a bold bitch. Okay, here we go. Here is episode 24, Cultural Critique, Empathy, and Why Hot People Set Boundaries from friend of the pod Gia Goodrich's beautiful brain, the Bold Bitch podcast available on all podcast streaming platforms, and we've got tags and Insta ads in the episode description. Remember, we might be therapists, but we're not your therapist. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Trying to talk slick, all up in my ear and shit. America has a hard problem being wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like why we have a hard time like legislating against critical race theory at the moment, right? It's because like being wrong is wrong. And I think that being wrong is the most liberating thing in the whole world. Absolutely. We're not doing it perfectly and we're not even trying to pretend like we're doing it perfectly. Like we are all human beings on this planet doing the absolute best that we can. This is the Bold Bitch Podcast, where I dive deep into conversations around taboo topics. I'm your gay, ADHD-having, and compulsively curious host, Jacob Rich, and among many things, I have a very low tolerance for bullshit. So each week, I have intriguing conversations with experts, tastemakers, rebels, and rule breakers who choose to boldly show up and own their opinions in this crazy call-out culture we live in. Speaking your mind and trusting your gut isn't easy, but the boldest, truest version of yourself is exactly what the world needs. Hello. Hi, hey, how are you? My fabulous, bold bitch that you are. I am coming to you from my car with not at all the audio setup that I'm going to have later in the episode because I was just riding the struggle bus these last couple of days. I want to, I guess, talk about it (laughs) because just in case you're going through something at all similar to what I've been going through, where I have big visions, I have big goals, and I just every turn feel like I am thwarted by something. At the same time, I have amazing support. Uh, Kellyanna, who's just recently on the episode, has actually been life coaching me, which has been fabulous. And we had a session today, which was wonderful. I've had great talks with friends. I have been just doing everything on paper that I should be doing. And yet I feel like all of these fires are arising and all of these opportunities taking me away from the things I really, really want to be doing right now. For me, namely, it's like I want to create a solid system for creating this type of content between the Bull Bitch podcast and YouTube. 
and also work on this course, right? The magnetic and virtual meetings and really be able to empower people to feel like they're showing up all sparkotastic, boss babe energy, and really just owning that virtual meeting. But everything has come up in my way, it feels like. And I was explaining this to Kelliana where it was like, I just feel like it's all a meshed chicken and the egg. I need this to do this. I need this to do that. And then meetings are popping up everywhere. And it's just this constant feeling of overwhelm. And so I'm really trying to just breathe through it, keep my head up, and just show up to the best of my ability. But what I found is like the last two nights, I've literally gone to sleep at like 6.30 p.m. because my body is just like, stop. You need to like recharge in some crazy sense. So there's that. And then also I had like this really rude awakening today with this conversation, which was this really lovely conversation. And I won't get into the details because it's not the time or the place or, you know, and it was kind of like a a privilege vault type of conversation. But the way it made me feel was, bitch, you are not a big enough deal yet. (laughs) It's interesting because I literally have a talk on how to be a big deal, which is really about how to create a context for who you are and what you do and get people to really figure out how you can show up with the biggest passion and energy that you have and really become a magnet and draw people to you. At the same time, looking at these structures of oppression, looking at these systems that aren't built for us, I'm also very acutely aware that whilst I have accomplished a lot, whilst I have shown up in a big way and done a lot of things, if I was a white cis hetero dude bro from money, everything would be exponentially more than that, right? And I talk about the what would a dude bro do? It's like really like Chad is really crushing me right now because I had a very real life instance recently or today in this conversation where I was reminded of something that I want, an opportunity that I want, and really being reminded that the gatekeepers don't see me as being as valuable as somebody else. And I feel like we always come up against these moments where it's like, I know I have greatness in me. I know I have something to share, something to do, a place to go. And because I don't have the external status markers, other people don't want to bet on me. And I know that this isn't just me, right? That we as women, we as femmes, we as minorities in any other sort of category, we are underestimated constantly. And because we don't fit the boxes of what a successful person would look like in that role, what they imagine somebody who would step into that opportunity looking and sounding like and and all of that, what happens is we end up getting one out of every five, one out of every three opportunities. And when you think about a resume over the course of 15 years, that disparity between the person who is getting everything by default because not only are they good, but they look exactly, they fit all the expectations, all the internal biases that somebody might house that they don't even know that they do versus someone like me and someone like you. So that's been weighing on me really a lot today and just thinking like I can't change the system. All I can do is show up every day and really try to amass as much power and leverage that be so good they can't ignore you energy which is 
you know, it's fiery energy that's going to hit it. <laughs> it's going to make something happen. I just, you know, it's also really exhausting because I, as I was telling Kellyanna, it's like, it's like somebody says, hey, meet me at coffee and I'm going to give you this great opportunity. And I have to spend, I'm, I show up late because I have to build the car and then get in it and drive to the place. Whereas my counterpart already has three cars in their garage. They can just hop in one and drive. And then I show up and it's like, well, you're behind everybody else. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. I'm behind. I had to build a whole car from scratch with the stuff that's laying around me. Like, what do you expect? But that's the thing. Not everybody is really thinking about all that stuff. And, and that's why it's so important. This is there are so many people that I've talked to, especially women, especially people in the disability space, especially people rocking with different ethnic stories of non-dominant culture, neurodivergence for sure. What I hear a lot is all of you saying, well, I don't want to be like the founder. I don't want to own the, the this thing over here. I don't want to be the leader. And it's because our experiences of people taking up those space have spaces have done it in a way that is deeply suboptimal, that makes us feel unseen and unvalued. And yet, the vacuum of us not showing up into those spaces means that somebody else is going to fill in that has all of those same values and houses that same identity over and over and over again. And really thinking about, like, this is our duty to show up as powerfully and as fully as we can so that we can take up that space and that we can keep the ladder there for other people to climb up. I really feel like it's so important to really chase after the that thing that you're called to do and and support each other along the way. So I am just really knowing internally in my soul that all of this is happening for a reason that I do have wonderful support with people like you, and I'm sure you have wonderful support of humans in the world who are seeing you and loving you that you don't even know are there necessarily, and that in these moments that are kind of funktastic, we just got to, you know, strap in, moisturize, put some sunblock on, and keep showing up. That's it. Today. This episode is so exciting. I'm so excited to share it with you because it is with two of the most amazing babes that I have just deeply fallen in love with after being on their podcast. This conversation just blew me away with their charisma, kindness, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, just all of the things. So let's roll into it. Today's guests are the creators of my absolute favorite podcast of all things pop culture, identity, queerness, and mental health. And the way that they share their perspective with wit, empathy, intelligence, and heart will rope you in and make you fall in love with their content. Shawnee is a Black gay mega babe with a wealth of knowledge and an enviably discerning taste. He has a master's in counseling and has experience working with marginalized youth and currently works at TikTok analyzing trends and wrangling some of the platform's biggest creators. Germs is a very recent graduate with a master's in social work and is a white, queer, mullet head and former nightlife demon, which I really need to see video evidence of their drag moment, their persona, their like magnificentness. I just, because, I mean, just imagining knowing them the little bit I do, like, I am just fully here for it living. They also have the most generous and loving energy I've ever been exposed to. 
Together, they launched the QBT podcast at the start of the pandemic to rave, make you want to tear up reviews. And rightfully so. The podcast brings to surface all of the crazy, tenuous, hilarious things that we're struggling with as humans in a deeply personal and powerful way. They bring on experts and people to share their experiences that really just rock you and also deeply validate everything that we go through in this crazy journey in uncovering some of the issues we're rocking with, like, I don't know, traumas, I don't know, childhood issues, parental issues, all that kind of stuff that makes life difficult, but also interesting and magical. They help us navigate all of that in such a beautiful, fun way. The dazzling, radiant, and powerful Bold Bitches, Shawnee and Germs from the QBT podcast. Oh my gosh, but really quickly before we roll into the episode, I have a new idea this week. For any of you who listen to the episode, screenshot it, share it on your stories, and be sure to tag us at Gia.Goodrich and at the Bold Bitch podcast. Share it with us, and I'm going to enter everyone who does that into a secret giveaway just as a thank you for sharing the love with the people that you care about. I'm excited to dazzle one of you special babes with this, you know, fabulosity that I have in mind. So, okay. Rate and review. Love you. I am so excited to be talking to you both and to like literally be turning the tables because everybody knows that I came on your podcast and it was just so much fun. One of my favorite episodes. I like didn't mean to jump in, but like truly (laughs) it was beautiful. Thank you. Well, and I just like, I love the connection and the vibe and just, yeah. And then in digging deeper into both of you, like I said, I literally feel like I am the mom from Mean Girls that's like, bless you, keeping me young, because I realize I know so little about what's happening in pop culture right now, like what is going on. And so I literally like listen to you both to be like, "Um, how do we feel about Iggy Azalea? (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, she has a good song out. No, do not listen to her. We know too much about pop culture, honestly. My brain is rotted. And this one, yeah, this one knows too much beyond pop culture. Like the internet, I don't even, I can't even go down that rabbit hole. So let's just start here because this is one of my questions. I feel like in my younger years, like when I was like deep in the baby gatum, and really feeling myself, I definitely fell into the trope of like the catty queer, right? Where I was just like super cutting, super critical, could read you to filth, like this is who I am, what time of day it is. Mm-hmm. As we've gotten older, I've really worked to try to, you know, like be compassionate and like <laughs> recognize people's humanity and everything. And one of the things that I feel like personally I am not so great at is seeing is like holding people accountable, if that makes sense. It's like the Mm. pendulum has swung totally in the other direction. So Mm. talk to me about this, yeah, like the first section of your show, which is very much about like, how do we feel? What do we rate? What's hot? What's not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts? How are we catty gaze about pop culture? Yeah. (laughs) Because that's what we are. It's it's honestly it's faggotry. Like yeah. that's what I think about it. And like I know that that's like a word people feel weird about. But like, go. I'll say what I mean more about. How that, do I feel about faggotry? No. <laughs> um, so I love faggotry. Why hello. 
Consider this your personal invitation to the Bold Bitch Mafia. It's our private community where you get all sorts of bonuses and perks. Now, I know you're probably multitasking. You're probably either driving or running or running errands, whatever the situation is. So I want you to just embed this in your brain, remember it, so when you can safely pull out your phone, do the following. Go to oldbitch.com slash mafia and join our free membership that gives you access to all sorts of bonuses like full video episodes and our secret show, The Bold Bitch Debrief. That is where we can hang out, build community and take over the world. It's free. All you have to do is go to boldbitch.com slash mafia. And I'll see you there. I agree with you. I think that as I get older, as I am a little bit more buttoned up and mature and professional, the claws can't come out in a certain way. They come out in a whole nother way. That's very much so, you know, I know how to write a nasty email girl (laughs) with a smile on my face. But I feel like when I really need to let it go, I mean, why not do it and talk about celebrities or pop culture who I have no sort of attachment to, no sort of like, I don't have to feel bad about talking shit about Iggy Azalea until the day I meet Iggy Azalea and she might become a great friend of mine, doubtful, then I, I have no reason like to, to feel bad about it. And I think that maybe that feeling bad is what it is, like that compassion. Like I've definitely gotten catty with people, snippy, like just straight up mean and like five minutes later, been like, damn, I was such a bitch. Like, I didn't have to be like that at all. Even if it was warranted in that moment, like, I didn't have to take it that far. I definitely am holding a lot of that. And something that I hear you use a lot and used it when you were talking to us, when you're talking about like these superpowers we don't know that we have. I think in some ways that defense mechanism of really just like being a cunt like that (laughs) comes from not having a voice and so it's like you find this voice in unfortunately being mean and a lot of times because you've absorbed that meanness your entire life you really know the meanest thing possible to say to someone because like you know what it feels like to be cut down to this core and then as we're entering adolescence or you know that late adolescence when like gay people experience that at like 26 or whatever You learn that as a way to like make friends, but then I think pretty quickly recognize what you're talking about, that it's, it's not helpful, right? And so I think when you're directing that at people that are making money off of other people's pain, or when you're directing that at people that say fucked up shit all the time and are fine, they have people that run their social media for them, you know, like, there's a wall of separation from who that person actually is. And obviously, there's going to be times where I mess up and actually say something terrible about someone who's feelings are maybe hurt by that. But I think that there is this separation for cultural critique that allows us to step into that space that of something we're really good at, while also holding that it deserves to be there and not with other people around us. Yes. Well, I love hearing how you feel about it. Because also, I guess I should have also said is that I think you both do it with empathy. It's not that kind of super catty, mean, biting, like for spite kind of sake, it yeah. is like it it reads to me as very fair. You know what I Thank mean? You. Like even when I was listening to like your like, oh, I like Iggy's new song. It's like this is why I have an issue with this bitch. And like this is why I'm kind of like, oh, but I actually still like, you know, I like this thing that they're putting out. For me, one of the things that I'm uncovering, and we'll talk more about like mental health and all that stuff, is that my defense mechanisms are very much one side or the other and Mm. really not existing in this middle ground. And so for me, it's like so much fun listening to it because not only is it like fun and reminds me of like the, you know, the sassafras that like, oh, actually that drugs 
last time I did sassafras, I ended up like huffing myself into a ball uh, and breathing in spiders and snakes. So, Wait, what is sassafras? <laughs> that was a suboptimal experience. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. Sorry. It was, oh my goodness. It was really fun until I decided I did not want to be high anymore. That was the switch. That was like me and edibles. Like the first time I did edibles, I woke up the next day and had to go to work. Like I was at work. <laughs> And this was like a long time ago, but like at work, like, oh my God, I am still high from the edible I took last night at like six. And I was like, I can't do this. I hate being high too long. It's the worst feeling ever. Well, and I feel like too, there are some people for whom like that experience of being like loose in their brain is really fun. I'm not that person. Like I really, I have a drunk, we joke that, cause I don't drink, but we joke that I have a drunk personality cause I will just, I'm that bitch that will like dance on a tabletop and like yeah. shake my ass. Like I, I don't need any alcohol to do that. But as soon as I feel like I can't smoke weed, because as soon as I start to feel like I'm not as sharp as I need to be, mm-hmm. then I start getting paranoid. And like mm-hmm. that's instantly the only exception being the hallucinogens where it's all about like light and kaleidoscope glasses mm-hmm. and like, yeah, that's. I love that. Yeah. Um, I feel like I could talk about drugs for a long time, but I think the when, it, when I'm thinking about <laughs> when I'm thinking about this sort of like empathetic critique. Yes. Part of that for me is literally a practice that I've built. Like I have just found it to be so important, especially when we're thinking about social justice movements too, about what it means to to speak that truth to power and then also figure out like, how do we build that in though? Like we can't just like leave you to the dust. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you've proven over and over and over and over and over again that you wanna be left to the dust, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there's like that element of it. But I think when we're balancing what it means to educate and bring in and move forward, like it can't be that one-sided. And so I think for me, when I'm when I've been moving through life, I grew up in black and white. Like I grew up in right and wrong. I grew up in heaven and hell. Like, so part of my like coming into adulthood and building a worldview has been what is the great space? What is, what is that balance? And then finding that balance in other things and in critique has also been able to switch later in my adult life and been like, how do you find balance? Like, what is that middle ground for you? And then that's what I mean by practice. Like it, it takes sometimes some literal kind of like negotiating with myself. Yes, that makes a lot of sense to me. And also, I think that there's something really amazing with the both of you. And I'm curious about like actually like your age ranges. If you are you both Gen Z? Oh, no. I'm like a cusper. I'm technically a millennial, but like, you know, on the younger end. I'm 29. I'm 29. You're 29. Oh, how, what's, what age does Gen Z start? I don't know. Like I think 29. Right now? Yeah, right now, today. <laughs> okay. Today on this podcast. I started Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Maddie began the Gen Z movement. Oh, yeah. I think if you use dial-up, you're a millennial. That's what I think. Okay. And you did. Like, you mm-hmm. remember that AOL sound? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, Shawnee, yeah. same for you. Okay. So, I am an elder millennial. So, yeah. there's like a big difference. So, I'm just going to lump you into like Gen Z because... What I'm going to say is a compliment that I attribute to Gen Z that (laughs) that I'm attributing to both of you is that I think when it comes to like this cultural critique and this ability to really read things for what they are, there's a lot of people who are like in my zone, like a lot of millennials, particularly elder millennials, also like Gen Xers, Uh where we were just swimming in so much shit that it is hard to see. 
listening to both of you talk about like, you know, films from like way back when or whatever that like, you know, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I love that movie. And then to hear, you know, the, the, the critique of it now, it's like, oh fuck, like that was deeply misogynistic. That was deeply messed up. And I think that's one of the gifts of these younger folks, like the both of you, you know, from my vantage point, <laughs> that are able to see things with this like new lens to where I just, I don't know. Like I was just, there's a lot of it that I am just now starting to see for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think our cuspiness though is what allows us to like enjoy it and still hate it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm thinking about <laughs> The Players Club, right? That is uh -huh. a classic film from like the 90s that is very problematic now. But I remember it from my childhood. And back then it wasn't problematic. Or maybe it was and we just didn't care. But right. um, I don't even think it's necessarily being younger in age. I truly think, for me anyways, it is about choosing to consciously and actively like... <laughs> work on myself and to like digest information that is going to help me grow in that way. I consider myself like a millennial millennial. Um, but I think that since doing the podcast, I think that since, I mean, especially I'll be honest, since like moving to Portland and maybe it started when I was in New York, like having lived in New York, you know, in such a melting pot where like you have to sort of get to learn everybody's identity and that everybody's a little bit different and nobody's the same. That was my first time experiencing that. I'm from the South, very much so a monolith, very much so. They're and segregated. And segregated. Very mm -hmm. much so there are black people and there are white people. And the white people don't like the black people. And that's all you need to know about diversity. Sometimes literal tracks dividing the town. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, where my grandmother still lives. So I don't know. I think that like experiences in life, like meeting a lot of people, learning from a lot of people, wanting to hear other people's stories. I think that that's a huge thing, like being open to other people's stories and not looking at a person and thinking, I know everything about them up and down, forwards and backwards. And instead of meeting them with like a, I know nothing about you as an individual. I could group you in with this this group. I could say this, I could say that. But instead, meeting them with like an open heart and an open mind has been really helpful for me with a lot of the moving that I've done and combined with this like thirst for wanting to know more and wanting to make sure that I'm coming from an educated point of view when I speak, I take a lot of value in that. I know some people don't, but I do take a lot of value in being educated and knowing what the fuck I'm talking about before I open my mouth. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's like holding a lot of that and also knowing that like my education is mine and what I could know and what I believe I know could be fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Like, and that's okay. Like, I think that you were talking about work that you have done on yourself. And I think that that's a big part of it, too, is that I cannot hold myself in a right or wrong, good or bad, moralistic kind of dichotomy. I have to exist in both because I am both. And by offering grace to that part of myself, that's where some of that has emanated outward eventually and through therapy and through kindness of friends, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I'll add one more, one more last little thing. It kind of speaks to what Maddie was saying earlier about knowing that feeling and why sometimes you can feel okay being catty. Is that being a person of color, being a queer person, I also know what it's like to not have people understand you or not know where you're coming from or treat you as if you belong to a certain group. And that means that like they understand everything about you. So I think that having that experience just inherently makes me not want to treat other people that way or not come at any sort of topic, like not having some understanding of it, if I'm going to speak on it, that is. 
And that's just really resonant with me because I feel like a lot of what you both really talk about is like, you know, from just listening to the podcast is this kind of idea of like leveraging your personal struggles, your experiences, and like really utilizing that in helping shape the way you see, the way you connect, the way you code, what's going on for yourself. And I just think that's really powerful in this world that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast, right? Is because I feel like we're in this such a charged moment in time when everything is so tweetable and the responses are so there that it's very tempting to just not say the thing, right? Like to not have the point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to the both of you is that having a point of view really means that like you're going to fuck up sometimes and Absolutely. like ha- having the humility to say like, yeah, I did that. And, you know, this is where I'm at now. Can you hear that? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, of course, there's um, somebody revving a motorcycle. Vroom, vroom, baby. Right it. outside. And it's always like a white sister or dude, right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, dude. I'm sorry. Totally. Okay. So, Shawnee, I'm I'm curious. Um, I'm curious about your background. I mean, both of you have like some striking similarities, right? And it's spooky. Where you've come from. Help paint the picture for us of like little baby Shawnee. Little baby Shawnee. Oh my God. I don't know. Little baby Shawnee was <clears throat> all over the place, quite literally. I'm from the South. Like I said, I was born in Tennessee. Uh, I'm an only child. Uh, so blessing and curse, definitely. I get everything I want, but it also means that I have to live up to a lot. That is one thing that I still work on a lot to this day. I think it has sort of defined a lot of my journey. But yeah, I mean, I'm from the South, moved from Tennessee to Atlanta, Georgia, from Georgia to Houston, Texas, from Houston, Texas to Richmond, Virginia, which is where I went to high school. So that just lets you know from birth to high school. Those are all the places that, I, that I've that i lived. As a kid, I don't know. I was really, I think most children are creative and artistic. I think that the world just sort of beats it out of them at a certain point. I consider myself somebody that as a kid was, I like to draw. I like to write. I really enjoyed school. I am mad at my mom to this day about this. I had perfect attendance as a kid through every grade up until my senior year in high school when I had to go to a stupid family reunion on a dumb cruise to Mexico. How privileged of me. But whatever. I like had to take a day off like on a Friday because we had to catch a flight. And I was like, I hate you. Okay, this is how we're different. I like faked sick all the time. I fucking hated going to school. I'm like, what no. a streak. <laughs> no. I mean, like, congratulations, but also. Well, no, don't congratulate me. It was like a 99%, not a 100, and I'm pissed about it still to this day. <laughs> we talk about Shawnee's perfectionism a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is low-key a trauma response, but like, yeah. yeah, fuck you, mom, for like taking me on this magical vacation. Right. You ruined everything. <laughs> I'm not always, but I'm team mom on this, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I probably needed that experience. But yeah, I mean, there, there you go. I was a perfectionist as a kid, something I still deal with to this day. I feel like I was a very sensitive kid growing up. I remember, I remember one time visiting my godmother. I was with her for like a week, like in Atlanta, and I was just taking a shower one time. And I just started crying. And she like came in there and was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, did you fall or something? And I was just like, no, I'm just crying. And I didn't even have a reason to. And that also still happens to this day. I'll just be like, I don't know why I want to cry, but I'm just going to cry. I just have big feelings. Your body says it needs to. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been very much so, I think, being an only child and having so much time to myself, um, you know, I, I've learned to explore my thoughts a lot for better or for worse. I think sometimes I'm a little too trapped in my head. And I think that I feel very comfortable with me, like, alone, like, by myself. One of the things my friends have gotten to know about me and learn about me is that, like, I like being around people to a certain degree, and then I want you to leave me alone for, like, two weeks straight. Like, don't talk to me. Like, I'm not going to show up to anything. It doesn't mean that I hate you. It's just, like, I am very comfortable with being left alone. And if you respect that, then I am 10 times more fun when you actually do hang out with me. Mm -hmm. And is it kind of like a sorting system for new friends, I imagine, where, like, can they hang with the disappearance without being resentful? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, if you are... (laughs) Just across the board, if you're like a needy person, like if you're somebody that is sort of dependent on me for things or like just need to see me all the time, we're probably not going to get along. Like (laughs) I need somebody that's like independent. Like if anything, I'll be like, damn, someone hasn't talked to me in a while. I want to hang out with them versus like somebody constantly hitting me up every other day, like Mm -hmm. wanting to hang. It's like, all right, like get a life. That's you're like the cat in the Ani DeFranco song. Have you ever heard ha- heard this song? I don't know who those people are. It's like <laughs> the person who knows me best says I'm like a cat, the type of cat you can't pick up and throw into your lap. Our kind doesn't mind being held as long as it's her idea. Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. It's absolutely Shawnee. Mm-hmm. Ani, I mean, Ani DeFranco, you know. Like I'm going to look it up. Goddess of all the things. Shawnee's <laughs> learning about Ani DeFranco today. <laughs> yeah. She's like a lesbian music icon. Jesus. Okay. I think she kind of fizzled out at some point, maybe. But like during my baby gaydom, it was like, it was mm. real. It was really rocking to Ani and like her songs, you know. What kind of music stuff. is this? Emo, indie, rock of like okay. early 2000s. So, so I should listen to the new Willow Smith song and then that. Okay. I saw that. Yes. I saw a little bit of her performance. Um, and then heard both of you talking about it and like 100% warp Tour vibes. Yes, I can It's so good. Not it's that you so asked for my opinion, but I'm 100% <laughs> giving it. I always want opinions. Yeah. I love opinions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then like to finish, to finish that thought, I'm curious, like, you know how we always take these stories that we develop as kids that really like kind of shape the way that we see the world. What were some of those stories that you're realizing now as an adult? You're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta unpack that one. Girl, do you want to just come sit into my therapy session? Because that's (laughs) literally what's happening. I'm unlearning a lot of those stories, but I don't know. My mind went immediately to, we all have sometimes issues with opening up and being vulnerable. I think that a story I was given at a very young age, which I've had to really unlearn, is that like people will take advantage of you. Like don't give people your everything and like you got to like watch out for people that is like Mm -hmm. a message that my family sort of fed me over and over again i mean from birth through like high school like if i lost a friend or like a friend did something like weird my mom would be like that's why you can't trust people and it's like whoa so like now i have this trust issue where i think everybody on earth is gonna let me down or like Mm -hmm. nobody is actually there for me And everybody's just sort of like selfish and cares about themselves. I don't think that's true necessarily, but it still takes a lot not to approach the world with this sort of cynical, like, none of y'all are here for me. I have to look out for myself and myself alone. With that as well, I've also learned that, what's the saying? 
people won't remember like what you said or remember how you made them feel. Like I think that that is something that has also stuck with me since I was a kid. And again, to like piggyback on what was said earlier, I think sometimes like have I said the wrong things? Like of course, but if I can catch myself doing that and sort of work harder and like make somebody feel that or whatever, then like I know that I'm doing the right thing. And I also have just learned Maybe it's doing this podcast. Like, I don't necessarily watch everything I'm saying. I'm more so just about, like, but do y'all feel me? Like, are Mm y'all, like, can you understand it from my point of view and, like, feel that? And is that making you feel good? Like, is that making you feel seen? Because if so, that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to, like, say the right or wrong thing politically, if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. One of the things that I've been kind of talking about lately. I mean, it's weird, you know, when you do podcasts because you're like, I don't remember where this conversation happened, but I feel like it keeps coming up. Um, But is that idea of like earning trust that people give you grace once you've earned trust with them and they know who you are and then they can see anything or hear anything that you say wrapping it around that lens of like, I know this person is a good person. And conversely, you can have people that misread certain things that you say because there isn't trust in that relationship and mm-hmm. they're they're launching in their own stories to you know what you mean where you're coming from that place so so yeah that makes so much sense to me and with you both with your podcast and that's why I was so interested in doing it also is that like you're on this journey where like the people who are in it who are listening like all the amazing bold bitches they're in it, you know, and they will give you grace if you say something. And then the next week they're like, yeah, that, you know, that was catty and bratty of me. And yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. So Maddie, you're up. Talk to me about, about little baby germs. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm a finalist on drag race. (laughs) I think I was the oldest child. And then there was just like a lot as an army kid and like firstborn son firstborn southern christian son that was put on me in that way and then my dad started employing like when i was pretty young so i became this like man of the house at like seven right like i I took on a lot of these responsibilities and for better or for worse especially as a queer kid having this kind of like oh whatever's happening is not good i don't know exactly what's happening but i know that everyone's responding horribly so there's like got to be the separation of self that has to happen and there's like this performance self and there's who i am which a lot of what I've been unlearning is blending those two people back together, you know, and like not recognizing that there's this separation. I feel like I have been doing this work of trying to like mend that separation that kind of happened. But also because of that separation, I recognize that I had to be my own parent. So like despite having parents, our conflict all the time was I was like, I know from age like 13, you do not have my best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. So like I could tell sometimes and in retrospect i'm like oh yeah what they said was right and they were like i shouldn't have been doing x y or z but when i was experiencing it it felt like they were lying to me right like that protection felt like a lie because the thing that was supposed to be protective of me in terms of like being a good christian person was not helpful to me right it just was it was more harmful than it was helpful so it created this distrust in some ways, of people that are meant to care for me. And I became my biggest caretaker, right? Mm -hmm. I also, though, learned from my parents, I had a very big community. While we moved around a lot, once we finally got settled, like, I kind of had like nine, 10 different parents. So I definitely have always been trying to recreate that wherever I am, like wherever I land, I'm like, 
I want a giant house that people can come to and it can just be everyone. You know, like that is yes. that is what I want. That is what I crave. I want to have intimate relationships with people. I, I, I'm not great at small talk. I'm one of those people you come to my house and I'm like, so what was your trauma? You know, like I, it, obviously I'm not that like bold, but like I accidentally, <laughs> I feel like I'm accidentally that person where I just- That's I'm, why we didn't get a, not get along. That's why true. we weren't close to first. Because I'd be like, hey, Shawnee, and talking to him like I've known Shawnee for like nine years. And he's like, I don't know I who don't know you, you are. <laughs> I don't know you twice. Why are you trying to be my friend so bad? Right. Right. Oh, my it's gosh. True. I could true. just see the dynamic. That is hilarious. So I feel like, I mean, I, I feel like those are a lot of things that I am unlearning. I was listening to your episode or the most recent one where you were talking about like these unintentional things that you got from your parents, despite having this sort of approach to or maybe inclination to do the opposite and a lot of my work honestly within therapy and just within myself since I don't know for like the past two years or whatever has been learning to appreciate the things that I got from them that were not terrible you know and like the traits outside of just the physical ones like that is not a terrible thing I think maybe they made terrible choices in some ways with that personality trait but that that thing is not something that is horrible about me Hmm. Yeah, that really makes a, a lot of sense. I feel like there is this arc that happens where it's like as a kid, you see this huge separation between the adults and your experience and your friends' experiences. And then all of a sudden, there's like this pivot where you realize your parents are humans that have the exact same feelings and still in their brains mm. feel like they're, you know, the nine-year-olds that didn't get picked for soccer. And then, and then that shift Really, I mean, it takes, I don't know, at least for me, it took, with my mom, it was the opposite because she was always single mom that would just always let me know everything, even so much that now I'm realizing like some of those lines were a little bit blurry in a way that could have also like caused some, I don't like the term emotional incest because it's <laughs> charged, but yeah, but like some of those, you know, experiences where it's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have been privy to some of this stuff, whatever. But especially with my dad and my bonus mom, where it was very much like they were united front, never letting you see them sweat sort of vibes and then realizing like, oh, he's just fallible and his feelings are hurt and, you know, and yeah. this is how it is. And you and I have talked about this on the podcast before of like there's talking about that balance and that grace a little bit is like I can know. That because of what I'm about to say, we need to have some separation. But there's this generational thing, or at least choice thing that happens. I'm attributing it to generation where it's like, we're going to therapy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're undoing some of this stuff <laughs> early, and they're older than us and still have not undone the nine year old stuff, you know? And I think, like, a thing for me, that balance you're talking about, that sort of switch that happens. And I don't know if this is true for y'all, let me know. But, like, yeah. my mom had me when she was 27. I don't know. That is, I've just known that all, since I, I've, I've seen like my birth certificate and her marriage certificate, and I did math when I was little, and I was like, oh, you got married when I when you were pregnant with me, like that. And that I can read into all that, and make all kinds of assumptions. Anyways, she was 27 when she had me. When I turned 27, I had this really weird moment on my birthday where I was like, my mom was this age when she had me as a kid, right. and it suddenly like made me really aware of like oh shit, like she was going through, I mean, at that time I was living in New York, making not a lot of money at all, could barely like pay the rent for like the apartment I was living in. And I was like, shit, she was doing this with a baby. Mm -hmm. And since then, like I've been able to offer her a lot of grace. I think our conversations have gotten a lot better because I'm not, 
it's not so attacky anymore. It's more so like, I understand XYZ. I'm still going to express this because you need to know and we can work on it. But now I don't have to like scream at you or like blame it on you for being like incompetent because I mean, you were because you were fucking 27, like or 28. Right. right? And I'm, I'm barely beyond that age and I'm still making dumbass decisions. So it's like, I could definitely see her doing the same when I was like five or six. And I think that that, I don't know, it's a good starting place for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. And kids are hard. Like spending any amount, I mean, I'm just an aunt, but like spending more than two hours with a child, let alone like multiple (laughs) children at varying ages, it is hard. Okay. But Maddie, I do want to hear like, so in terms of your stories, what are a couple of those that you're like, that you just got given and now we're just carrying them through and trying to unpack them? I don't know why. Sometimes queer people talk about this thing where like kind of before coming out and before that alignment kind of comes back together, your memory's fucked. And like, mm-hmm. um, I think that I have a really, really hard time accessing the truth about what happened before I was 17, just because I unfortunately was not able to hold on to a lot of the good stuff because I was like privately going through it, right? Something that is a story that I learned that I actually was talking about with like a, a clinical supervisor today was I was reflecting on this past year in my internship and I was like, This year and this time in grad school has kind of taught me that this difference that I'm experiencing in groups or in settings or, you know, in a classroom feeling like that I'm the only one that doesn't see this as a problem or I see something as a problem and no one else is discussing it as a problem. Like that thing that I doubt is actually the thing that was like the one true part of my childhood. I was I understood it was fucked up. But I was around everyone who was like, nope, this is it. This is what we do. And this is right. And so I learned that that part was not to trust or that that part was bad, like it was wrong. And so from 17 to, you know, now, like in these past 12 years, I've had to really coach myself to trust that thing and see that thing as a benefit versus this detriment just because of the ways that I had, I learned a story that wasn't true. Right. I feel like that is so resonant. And it reminds me of, um, have either of you seen the movie Pleasantville? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was the bitch that loves color. Okay. So I'm like, again, like these are one of these movies. I I haven't seen it in like 20 years. And I don't know. I'm scared to like go back to it yeah. and like realize like, is it good like I remember or is it fucked up and I didn't remember, you know, but anyways, let's just assume that it's like still... It's still good. Let's just assume. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that it's like they don't know their world's in black and white until right. they have an orgasm. That was the scene that really stuck with me is the mom <laughs> in an orgasm to um yeah. to see the world in color. And I was actually young enough when I watched it that I didn't really understand what was happening. So I thought it was like something with the bathtub. I thought it was like something Same. with the bathtub. <laughs> I'm actually just not realizing like, oh shit, that's what was going on. Thanks. (laughs) I thought it was about making out or I thought it was, I thought it was just about enlightenment in general. Like y'all are enlightening me to a lot of things today. (laughs) (laughs) The Franco, pleasant orgasms. What else am I going to learn today? Well, because that was the other thing is once I did realize it, I was like, okay, first of all, making yourself come for the first time, like, I don't know, for a lot of people, I would imagine, like, isn't particularly easy. Right. Then you add on top of it water, like being in a bathtub. I was just like, yeah, if I were going to like 
help coach a 50s housewife who's never come before at all in her life how to do it, it would not be in the bathtub. But um, they didn't ask me. So Right. <laughs> I feel like in the 50s, you know, like a vibrator was like a dirty word, but like the faucet's a faucet. Right. Oh, was she using the faucet? I don't. Is that okay, why? I, I'm going to okay. be truthful and then I don't remember specifically how she achieved her orgasm, but I watched this movie later and I was like, oh, oh, that's what's happening. Like yes. that, That's what it yeah. is about the I sexual awakening of the 50s. I deliberately left yeah. out those specificities, I would yeah. say. I'm yeah. going to go back and watch that movie 10 Because nice. I also, it's another one of those movies that I didn't know what it really was until I didn't see it on TBS until when I was adult. Mm. Like I, I saw so many movies through, you know, the sort of censored version on TV and like there's movies that I see now that I'm like, Oh, there's titties everywhere. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about that. Like what are some of the movies that now, or like it could be movies or pop culture or whatever that like are, you're still loving even revisiting. Cruel intentions. Yeah. Yes. I think that movie still stands up. Yes. Yeah. Because, like, now it would come out and you're like, why are we watching this movie about these privileged people? Like, what? why am I feeling sorry for these people? And, like, it's true. Yeah. And I want that Coke necklace, you know? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. And I remember, like, as a baby gay, like, that makeout scene with the spit. Like, I, I'm i mm-hmm. pretty sure, like, they won MTV movie kiss. Best kiss. Whatever with the, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. There was so I much. watched that movie at such a young age when I probably shouldn't have. On like TBS or something, and was just like, I feel like way, yeah, like that's about how you Ryan your hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because of Ryan Felipe and um, Josh Hartnett, so, and was, yeah. Um, anyways, and then I same thing watched it like later on on like HBO or something, and was like, oh, oh. okay, I'm really into this movie now. Yes, yeah, no, yeah. and now have you both seen Dangerous Liaisons? No. If Wait, have, is that the, is that with um? That's that? what Cruel Intentions is based, based off of on? the book oh. that was a movie, and in the movie, it's Glenn Close is Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yes. So you can imagine like all the vicious, like just like power wielding essence, and then John Malkovich is Ryan Felipe, and uh, and then it's in the seventeen, it's in the seventeen hundreds. So imagine like Marie Antoinette wigs and the the whole oh Hot. it's so it's so Hot. Good. It's like when I learned all those like teen rom-coms were all based on Shakespeare and I didn't know that until like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, taming like the shrew and all that shit. Yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> Sorry I'm dumb. I'm also 11 but I'm also dumb. You know? <laughs> <laughs> was she was she's all that based on a Shakespeare? Uh-huh. Really? really? Yeah. Uh, King Lear? Is that one that was? She's all that is based on King Lear. What? Which one is She's All That based on? I don't know. I remember that there was one wait. called O with Julia Stiles that was Othello, for sure. Uh-huh. Oh, 10 oh. Things I Hate About You is Taming of the Shrew. Um, I don't know if... yeah. She's All That is definitely one, and I can't remember. I can't remember which one. Romeo and Juliet. Right. Was very much so based off of Romeo and Juliet. That holds yeah. up. <laughs> wait a... That was yeah. also part of my sexual awakening. I think that, like... Le- like early Leonardo DiCaprio in Romeo and Juliet, and also the whole aesthetic was very like rave, yeah. drug fueled, whatever. And I remember being a kid, being like, "This is the life I want," <laughs> like, yes. and that's the guy that I want fucking me. And I mean, yeah. I know it's like problematic now, but like honestly, the guns too, like it's so mm-hmm. sexy. It's like, all it's very so sexy. hot. I yes. remember, yeah, I couldn't get a boner at that age, but 
if I could have, I probably would have had one. So I watch the movie a lot. <laughs> what is interesting is same for me because a lot of, and this was like pre-gay Gia, although my uncle's in New York because I grew up with uncles, that when I finally had the nerve to come out at like 24 and I'm sweating and, you know, I finally come out, they were like, we've known since you were five. I'm like, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. That's not a helpful thing to say. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. But no, I love, yeah. I love my uncles. But a lot of those boys during that like era could easily read as lesbians. You know what I mean? So I didn't really realize that like, oh, like Leonardo DiCaprio. And there were a few during that like kind of era that I yeah. really liked them when they were young and androgynous mm-hmm. vibes. Mm-hmm. And then as they started to, you know, get manly and have facial hair and stuff, it's going to like, Meow, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Leo Sexual still gets to fuck people the age that he, he was, was back then. then. Yeah. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> <His> bloated ass. <laughs> he looks so bloated. He does look bloated. <laughs> he looks very Can bloated. Can you believe Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are back together? I don't. No. I don't believe it. It's not a thing, right? Just, it has to be like a PR thing. Something's coming out with one of them. She looked, she walked out of his house looking like that, like, meme of that doll that I turned. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Oh, yeah, they was fucking. Okay, but they've known each other for so long. I kind of feel like if anybody was going to get into cahoots in a PR vibe, it would be somebody that you have history with for, like, 20 years. You know what I mean? Okay, agree, but, like, your husband cheats on you and your ex-husband is also famous who recently just left his wife. Like, I'd fuck again. Like, I would. Yeah. Wait, A-Rod cheated on her? Isn't that the whole thing? Did he? I don't, I don't, I literally have been barely paying attention because it all just seems so silly to me. You know what? I, it, it, it is. It is. I'm sorry. No, no, don't <laughs> apologize. I'm surprised we haven't talked about it on the podcast podcast <laughs> yet, to be honest. No, I did not mean that in a, in a like, no, I'm too good for it. I, meant... I am. <laughs> oh, but we are. Yeah, well, that's why we don't talk Are you kidding it. me? I'm a gossip hungry bitch. No, it's that I, I didn't think it was real. I thought it was like a right. catfish moment, which is why I wasn't paying attention to it. Had I thought it was real... I would have dung it in a little bit more because I really liked. J- First of all, I love J Lo, and mm-hmm. I will like mm-hmm. take. Do you not? Was that that little? Mm-hmm. Was oh it, no, I, I love J Lo. Okay, just I checking. Like There's nothing to hate about Yeah, I, I was like, don't. I mean, you can judge me if you want, but um, <laughs> I loved Hustlers. But I, love them I thought together. that was one of my favorite things. Yeah, of like 2019. Yeah. Okay, but here's the thing, and it's stupid. It's, you know, a point I'm not prideful of being this critical, but, like, she made such a huge deal about learning pole dancing. Oh, right. So I was ready. I was ready for her to, like, bring it and, like, really be doing it. And then I saw it, and I was kind of like, oh, that's a little, you know, disappointing. And to, like, also get even more critical, like, the ways in which they, like, displaced a bunch of sex workers to make a movie about sex workers like it it was shitty in that way too right okay so these are some of the layers that we were talking about before right Mm -hmm. is like how do you train yourself to see pop culture through this lens of social justice and equity i'm sure it's been happening for a long time but it's newer to my world and awareness right Mm. and so my first thing isn't like a lot of times, like for example, we had um, Khadija Mbo, who's an amazing YouTuber who like has these video essays on 
they're just like amazing and wonderful. And they were saying that with Bridgerton, they were bringing up all of this stuff. I watched their take after I watched the first episode and I caught zero. Mm. Like I caught nothing watching the first episode. And I feel like I'm, you know, like one of those people with like the spirals in their eyes that I'm just like so hypnotized by whatever that I just like literally don't see it until somebody's like, no, it's like right in front of your face. Having a critical lens is important, I think, when we're navigating media literacy because we're sold things that aren't real. For me, that's where it started was like going through college and media, like learning about journalism and learning about creating media and then just learning what's fake. Like I have a really hard time sometimes watching something and not seeing the cameras on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I then think about it within a social context of like, who made it? Who's acting? What did they do last year? Why are they doing this this year? Like, it's a choice. But also a language that yeah, I that's think you, that's that you learn. That's fair. I think uh, there's a sort of Tumblr discourse, a Twitter discourse that yeah. sort of became the way to look at media. I think looking back to like your fave is problematic, like which then became this problematic thing because it meant that people couldn't be people. They like had to be these yeah. perfect things okay. and no one's perfect. But I think it's for me, it's like. Sometimes I have to get so stoned to like enjoy something because if I'm going in dead sober, I'm going to be pulling it apart. And mm -hmm. so sometimes I have to like get a little stony to like get the rosy colored eyes again or get the like swirls yeah. in my eyes because it, it it's something that is hard to turn off once it's been turned on. And that's mm -hmm. why I watch everything stoned. <laughs> <laughs> everything. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm going to be stressed out the whole time. Yeah. Except them. None of y'all watch them. You can't watch it high. You can't watch it sober. It's just not. a. It's a great. It's a. I don't know what it is, but don't watch it. Yeah. I'm terrified um, to watch it. You should be. Uh, and nobody should need to relive that black trauma ever again. So um, anyways, that critique aside, I also think that it's. The more you know, the more you experience, um, the more you learn about other people's stories, the more that you do, you know, your little uh, your little radar goes off when you're watching something. You're like, that doesn't look right or that doesn't feel right. Because, I mean, there's plenty of shit that I probably watched three years ago that I was like, this is great and can probably watch it now and be like, oh, that's problematic for this reason. But I don't know that until... You know, again, I, I interact with people who actually have lived that story until I have discussions with people like Maddie with our other friend groups who I also would venture to say are pretty open-minded, educated people who are trying to take in as much of the world as they can. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is you don't know until you know, but when you know, you don't forget. So right. I think that that's part of it too. And it's about being this, as cliche as it sounds, like this everyday student, like there's plenty of shit I'm watching today probably that I'm like, I don't see anything wrong with it until somebody points it out to me. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to hate the thing now and never watch it again and never support it. But it's like, all right, well, that's a learning lesson now and I can take it. And when somebody else recreates it in the future or makes a version of it, like I know what to look out for. Mm -hmm. I also think that there's people who've created internet personas for themselves where they have decided to look into in quotes everything so they're going to read into stuff that actually isn't there mm -hmm. you know what i mm -hmm. mean like it could be if you put that lens on it but that isn't necessarily you have to think about the presentation of the art in quotes as well mm -hmm. um but i think also we didn't have as much access to what 
went on behind the scenes. These things existed in sort of these Hollywood secrets, but we know a lot more, not just about the actors or the director, but it's like, it goes down the line of like, what percentage of folks of color are working on this film about people of color? Like, Mm -hmm. that becomes a part of this conversation now because there's been people who's like, we're tired of showing up on set and it's all white people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, those are things that are newer. And yes, it's part of the language, but it's also, it's new. It's like, it's... that's relatively new about how much access to what we know about how things are made. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, a quick Google search of, you know, they, at this point, they put it in front of every show when the, when the credits, uh, opening credits go off. It's like created by so-and-so. Cool. Who is that person? Let me look them up. Like mm-hmm. written by so-and-so. Cool. Let me Google that person real quick to see if they know what they're talking about before they jump into the subject. Those names are there for a reason. Like, don't just ignore them to pay attention to the art alone. You should absolutely know who's making that art. And that's something I do. I I do that very stony all the time. I'll watch something, whether it like whether I think it's great or if I if it made, gave me some sort of like awkward or negative feeling, I look at those names afterwards and will immediately open my phone and be like, who's this person? What else did they make? Like, where do they go to school? Where are they from? Like, if I have to yeah. Wikipedia who their parents are, I'm just like... Who is this person that made this thing that either enjoyed enjoyed or hated? And I'll do that before I read like a thought piece on something because not every thought piece is great or spectacular or right. You know, like I think that a lot of people just have thoughts and like to put them down in writing and pretend like they're smart. But um, mm-hmm. that's not the case. I mean, we make a podcast sometimes where we sound smart. That's not always the case. <laughs> you do really good at performing <laughs> intelligence. Just going to let you know that right now. Um, winning, winning that one. Well, what I love about what you're both what you're both getting at is this idea of like to me, it reminds me of when I, I had the audacity to apply to my MFA program, not knowing who anyone in the art world was right. at all. And it was this very terrifying feeling of jumping in mid-race, right? It's like you know that you should know more than you know. Mm. And you have to kind of quickly suss out like what's the stuff that I need to Google on my own and what's the stuff that I can ask about. And it is a scary space to be in, but it's also really exciting because I think honoring the fact that there is so much to learn in an area is just like creating the recipe for exponential growth because you're not really going to learn if you're not open or realizing that there's this gap in your knowledge and all of that stuff. What's interesting is like, Maddie, what you were saying about not able to watch a movie without seeing all these things behind the scenes. I see a lot of that stuff when it comes to like from a photography lens, right? So I see where the lights are placed in my mind. Well, not literally in my mind because I can't see images in my mind. It's a thing and it sucks. But I'm mapping all that kind of stuff and looking at blocking and whatever. And so it's like this new muscle because my mind is preoccupied with a lot of that to say, okay, and now like let's look at some of these other layers. Because I feel like And I mean, again, like it's one of these things where it's just like, oh, you got to get out of this like trauma baby place of like, I'm just so grateful that there are people even in this show. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And because that's, you know, when I was trying to be an actor, they they would they literally would say to like my team, we love her, but we don't know who we would get to play her parents. And now seeing these people show up, there's a part of me that's just so like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And yet. It's like, but but like, let's unpack that a little bit further. Like, why are you so thirsty for just right. any sort of representation? Well, it's because it's, you know, like deeply fucked up so many layers deep. Like, let's right. start to look at that. 
I'm really grateful in in being on this journey and understanding that there's a lot that I don't know and also finding resources that feel cuz it's you're always like dancing up against threatening areas. <laughs> At least I'll just like speak for myself personally. Like I agree. when we get into the territory where you're like, "Oh, I'm not so smart over here." Mm, I can kind of sit, you know what I mean? And then you're like, it it gets prickly. Yeah. And so finding spaces and people and resources that make me feel open to or safe enough to ask those questions or just be in that conversation, I feel like is, yeah, is really amazing. I think um, coming to this with curiosity is the most important thing. And I think that for me and what I've kind of had to like move away from in terms of like, that's bad and that's bad and that's bad too. And I can't believe you like that. That's terrible. How can you do that? For me, criticism is not helpful if it's meant to tear down. Criticism is meant to build new things. If we're talking about it in the realm of like, what can we do better and how can we do this differently? That is different to me than just like pointing things out to point them out. Like, who does that serve? You know, like that doesn't serve anyone, honestly, but yourself. And so when you're talking about like prickly stuff, we had a guest recently from a community that I just like am not a part of. My my language is limited around it. And I caught myself in preparation and even like approaching it kind of like tripping over my words and then being embarrassed that I was tripping over my words because like right. it's that cycle coming from this culture of a lack of forgiveness. And obviously, as a white person saying that, there's a little bit of like, girl, shut up. But I think that there's like... Girl, this- shut up. <laughs> but But there is this thing of like, You have to trust that your intention of curiosity and grace and intellectual humility and wanting to find out more is going to be held with grace too, you know? And I think it's also about trusting and being insightful, maybe a little bit enough that the person is wanting to hear that or open up to that. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Like, not to bring up another podcast example, but the episode, I think I know who you're talking about. In the episode before that, I had a whole moment where I was just like, I don't feel prepared for this. I don't belong to this community. Like, I don't understand any of this per se. In the middle of that recording, me, Maddie, the guest, like, we had a conversation about it. And then after the fact, me and Maddie had a conversation about it. And the reframing I had to do, which I think everybody should do if they're feeling a little like, I don't know how to broach this or I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's more about like, I don't understand that POV. I don't belong to that. Just saying that up front, just saying I don't get that because I don't belong to that is not offensive to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're a white person, you come to me and say like, listen, I don't know if what I said was offensive, X, Y, Z. I'm just trying to get understanding of that in the third. May I just send you to Google? Probably. But like, that's better. I'm not going to scream or yell at you. It's better Mm -hmm. that you say that to me versus trying to pretend like you know the right thing to say or trying to pretend like you're educated on something that you're not and then Mm -hmm. saying the wrong thing. America has a hard problem being wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like why we have a hard time like legislating against critical race theory at the moment, right? It's because like being wrong is wrong. And I think that being wrong is the most liberating thing in the whole world. Absolutely. Like being able to own your mistakes. I don't know. I feel like that's what we've been sort of getting at this whole time. It's like, it's all messy. Like we're not doing it perfectly and we're not even trying to pretend like we're doing it perfectly. Like we are all human beings on this planet doing the absolute best that we can. The best that we can do is offer each other empathy and compassion. And I think that if you do those two things, everything's going to be fine. The second that you're not coming from that place, which 
again, not to sound cliche, but you're not coming from a place of love with like what you're offering, that's when shit gets like ridiculous and wild and things feel prickly and people start getting argumentative and there's conflict, right? Like when you're trying to pretend like you know everything, which is coming from a place of fear that you don't, that's when things get weird. When you're coming from a place of, I love myself to know that like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about and I want to offer myself the grace to learn more right now. That's when things won't get prickly. prickly. It's, a, it's a blank space to open up to. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. And it sounds to me, I'm so not good at quote attribution, but somewhere along the line, somebody had said, if, like, if you aren't actively embarrassed by yourself a year ago, it means you're not learning fast enough. Yeah. yeah. And I just, and just that default assumption, like I'm, I'm going to look back at where I am now and, you know, and be mildly embarrassed because I'll know a lot more. (laughs) Let's just keep moving in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about stories that you're unlearning, that has to kind of do with that distrust that I had is because I kept looking back and being embarrassed by what I had done six months ago or the year before and was like constantly trying to hide those pieces that were scary when I met new people. Mm -hmm. And I moved around a lot. So it was like also easier to kind of like, all right, I'm reinventing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but in my adulthood, recognizing like, oh, they knew things too. They just didn't know everything. Oh, that that person, you know, Mm -hmm. these little parts of yourself are not being embarrassed of yourself is good. Yes. (laughs) Except when, like, I'm totally guilty of this, that, like, every once in a while I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll remember, like, that one time that I told Andrew Kirkland that I had a dream about him and it came out really awkwardly. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then I'm just like, Gia, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody's thinking about it. So narcissistic. We're just in our own little worlds. Um, Okay, one thing I really want to talk to you both about is, of course, your podcast is so beautifully based around this idea of mental health and the complexities around what that means, the different ways that things can look, and both of you being very transparent in offering what's going on for each of you, which for me, I feel like is a very different model from what's considered to be traditional, right? Is that separation between people who are clinicians, people who are in positions of power who have this information are totally buttoned up and totally have it together and and are going to empathize, but are not going to transfer. Right. And I feel like there's this third space. Obviously, there's another one that I don't know what that one is, but okay. So then there's a third space that is um, this more of like peer learning but also coming from a position of having the knowledge and the awareness and the lexicon to be able to like really describe what's happening. I think what good is me going to school to become a therapist and learn how to engage with healing to then only offer that to people who can pay for it? What's the point? Like in my mind, what's the point? In our conversation with Alex Jenny, she was naming, you know, like being a therapist is what I do for money. Like, that's how I exist in capitalism, but that's not how I operate in a culture of care. And I think for me, I just had trouble going to therapy with someone that I could tell was not a human in the room with me. And I think that there's going to be people who respond to that, but that's not what I respond to. When I think about who has access to mental health, that's where a lot of that conversation comes from, especially to 
when I'm thinking about the ways in which for so long, in order to be respected, you couldn't have mental illness. An example would be like, you know, like a Judy Garland only being known for like addiction. You know what I mean? Like, that's how we know that person because it's so shameful that that's how that person died. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, for me, I'm like, I'm not going to let someone like uh, speak on my name once I'm dead. I'm going to speak on it while I'm alive, you know? Yeah. I think about, because here's what I immediately hear, like as a response is that, well, would I want to go to a therapist? Would I want to go to somebody if they didn't have it together? Mm -hmm. Right. I think what that breeds is like this facade of I have everything together and then I can like help with whatever it is that you've got going on. And I just, I can't imagine statistically that we have enough humans in those positions that have it together. Yeah, that are going to be rocking with like their own DSMable things, you know? And I know you have thoughts on this. I just want to briefly say that like there is an ethical responsibility to hold the person in the room with priority. I'm not saying that we're like going to have a key key when you come with needs. We're going to make sure that that is taken care of. But I'm just also not going to pretend that I'm perfect. That's what I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. I mean, I appreciate, I'll put it like this, the therapists that I have gotten along the least with, the ones that I have felt very little work got done, that I didn't feel any different, that I ended that relationship early because I just wasn't feeling it, have been the ones that pretended or maybe actually had it all together, but came across very cold, very Mm -hmm. like objective in the room, very like, I'm just here for this service and that's it. I'm not bringing any other part of myself into this. The ones that I've made the most progress with, the ones that I have felt the most impact from in my life in a positive way, have been the ones that don't have that barrier up that don't need me to teach them everything about my experience, but are at least like open to it and can say like, I don't know much about that. If you feel comfortable like telling me about it, I'd love to hear more because like I want to be able to help you in XYZ way. That's a better way at coming at me. I think even more so than people that do sometimes understand the whole thing forwards and backwards because then it's almost like they're like explaining it to me as if I'm not living the thing, Yeah, you know? And then I don't know, there's something about this textbook therapist where it's like, you're just categorizing me this way, diagnosing this way, treating this way by the book. And if I do something that is outside of whatever is in your DSM or in your whatever notebook you're writing, you either don't know how to approach it or you resort back to the thing that you learned in school. And this is also coming from a place, which I'm mad sure you understand as well. Like it's coming from a place of like, I went to school for therapy. I used to be a therapist. I see right through all the bullshit. So like, mm-hmm. I I'm know- I'm sure you're you... real fun to have. Yeah, yeah I'm real fun. <laughs> um, it's like, I know when you're reflecting back at me. I know when you're summarizing. I know when you're using all these basic ass tools. So you're gonna have to try a little bit harder, you yeah. know? And I can tell the people that are trying and the people that are just there to get a check and think that they're doing what's right because they chose this profession and they're doing what they were taught to do by the books. I also heard over and over and over and over again, and I think this is, it's not necessarily untrue of this trope of hurt people hurt people. And what I saw in my life is that hurt people knew how to heal better than any other people in the world. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to learn from that. And there's like, insight there in being a hurt person that is you cannot go to school for it so that's where that comes from yeah 
it's interesting because I find myself saying that a lot. Hurt people hurt people. And well, I they do. Yeah. I mean, it is. I, but it, what you're what you're saying, which I really like, is it's almost flipping, flipping it, not implying that just because you're hurt, you're going to hurt other people. But the people who are hurting other people are most assuredly hurt themselves. Right. Mm. And I think that that that's an important distinction to, um, yeah, to honor like the I don't I don't know a single person with depth and capacity and empathy that hasn't gone through the ringer in some way. Yeah. Hang out with someone that had a great life. They suck. They're so fucking boring. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Basic. <laughs> and I think like another thing we're getting at is that it's like I don't need you to understand the the facts. I mean, you understand, like, the objective facts about a thing I'm going through. Good for you. Like, you understand the statistics about how many gay men X, Y, Z, right? I don't care about that. What I need you to understand is the feeling. Like, I need you to understand the emotion that I'm going through right now. If you can't tap into that as a therapist, then why are we working together? Like, honestly. Like, I don't need you in my life if you can't experience what I'm experiencing right now. And I'm not saying I need you to like live my trauma. I'm saying that like, if you can't tap into that and offer something genuine because you know you've been there before or you can at least even tangentially like talk about it, then what's the point? Like if the worst thing that happened to you is that your dog died, you're going to be doing a lot of attachment to one experience and that's going to be stretched real thin. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. And I, I feel like there's this... Well, I mean, I mean, I would say like just in every way, there are people who, and of course I'm creating a false dichotomy. So it's going to be, you know, there's going to be some nuance that we're missing here, but I feel like there are people who find ways to lead from a human centered place and connect from that humanity. And then there are people who connect based on whatever, like more circumstantially. And I think that especially when we're talking about and, you know, any sort of like resistance or experience or things like that, like that ability to just show up as a human and say, hey, I'm here with you. I'm able to like listen to you and hold space. I don't need to know exactly from my own personal experience what that feeling is like, but I can see, I can just bear witness to what's happening. And I think that that is so powerful. And yet, I think it's very hard to do because. It means that you really have to be open to feeling. You have to be present. And I feel like those are qualities that because of like the trauma that we're always swirling in, we can access to varying degrees at different times. And some people are just really great at like clicking into that gear and showing up that way. For me, I am realizing freshly moving out of school and figuring out what the future looks like. The work that I'm having to recognize is like, well, I know I'm going to bring this home, but how do I bring this home in a way that's productive? How do I bring this home in a way that is helpful to me and my partner and my dog and my friends, as opposed to bringing it home in a way that like is just carrying it? Because that's not helpful for anyone. That's Mm -hmm. not helpful for my person that I'm going to go see because then the next time I see them, I'm tired. You know, there's got to be this sort of like release of energy and For me, one of those ways is like connecting with nature and then like releasing it there, whether that's screaming or like fucking or like just like swimming, like there's some kind of like emotional release that has to happen in a space that's sort of neutral. Mm -hmm. This isn't a very fully formed idea, but I love those. There's there's a difference between like compassion 
and empathy and yeah, that taking it on. And I don't know what that would be called, but I've often confused that feeling for compassion and empathy, right? Where it's like, in order to meet you where you're at, I need to imagine to such a degree and access my emotions, almost like an actor would, where you're like triggering that whole system for yourself. And I Mm -hmm. feel like for so much of my life, I mean, definitely for sure my whole 20s, that's how I would show up. And so people would feel like my friends would feel like, wow, like Gia is really here and, you know, she really gets me or whatever. And then, you know, I didn't really realize that not only is it not really, I don't think it really serves the other person either because everybody's energy is just like having this weight and gravity to it. But then also, you know, it's so depleting because, you know, you end up being that, that person that people realize that that's what you're good at also. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I what it's been like a year and a half maybe that I figured out through therapy that I was an empath. It explained a lot. Like I think that it's the thing that I've like known about myself but never really applied a word to it or honestly like saw the word and thought like hmm how like woo woo fru fru like whatever like it's not a real thing. Um, but I've read a few books and I'm like again educated myself on what it means to be an empath and realized that like another reason why was constantly sort of like, I don't want to be around people is because like human beings are fucking draining to me. But it's also because, and I'm still learning to get better at this, I find people draining because I take on people's energy, like a lot. Like it's the reason why I used to be such a people pleaser and such a like, as long as that person's happy, like I can read their energy and know they're not great. So I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that they're good now. That shit's draining after a while. I've had to learn a lot of grounding techniques. I've really sort of embraced like therapy and breathing and learning how to separate myself from like somebody else's feelings that might be sort of leaking into like into my life. Leak is a weird word. Again, it's a, I'm a constant work in progress, but I mean, I have seen the difference in my life when there are clear boundaries, when I'm holding myself accountable to those boundaries. Um, and when I am meditating and making myself very, making myself conscious and aware of when I am leaning too much into that empath and when it's not working in my favor, because there is a way for me to use that skill set to your point, like, I'm not a therapist anymore, but I still work with people very often and, like, people who are going through shit very often. So it's like, that is an outlet for that. That is a time to tap into that so that you're not always drained every single day doing it for everybody. Like, some people are just going to be pissed. Some people are just going to be sad. And you have to let them be that and not take it on. And some people, I think, because of, you know, we're we're all trying to get attention, love and energy in different ways. The way that they've learned to connect is like trauma-based connection, trauma-informed yeah. yeah. connection. And that you meeting them in that place is reaffirming the story is like, this is how I can get love, attention, sympathy. And it's maybe doing them a disservice in instead of reinforcing like we can also connect by playing ultimate frisbee or right. you know yeah. whatever, right. which is something that I'm learning. No, what's funny what it what it made me think of is for a very split second when I was 16, had a job at Osberg, which is like Greenpeace, where like you're out with the clipboards mm. trying to get people to sign. Oh, girl, God bless you. <laughs> I was party. a rock star in my lines. Yeah, like I was like, I got were. this. Hello, hi, welcome. Blah, 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 blah. Right. <laughs> we got out into the real world, 
And I could read somebody's energy from like 100 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I'd be like, they don't want to fucking talk to me, you know? So <laughs> then I would like make myself sick by trying to like, you know, because then you have like a trainer over your shoulder, like go and, you know, interact or whatever. And then of course they would reaffirm all this stuff. Yeah. And it was just like so horrible. So finally, the last day when I knew I was going to quit, I at that point, I just like gave no fucks. And I was like, yeah. I'm just going to like have fun with this. And I signed up so many people <laughs> <laughs> that they were like, you cannot leave. And I was like, oh, you don't understand. Like the only reason that I rock this is because I know I'm never doing this again. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, but it did kind of crystallize that like, okay, yes, I can read people's energy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that energy isn't susceptible to change. And if I just meet it where it's at, like then there's no room for change. And yep. so trying to come from a neutral or optimistic place, you know, is arguably not in every case, but could be beneficial in a lot of circumstances. And what are we picking up on that's actually our own shit that we're manifesting? You know, I, I, I mean, and, uh, so there's this like both and part of it too. We think about community connection and community engagement and building each other up and being there for each other as like a form of magic. That magic has to be protected. Like it is not infinite. Energy burns out. And so like you- Physics. Have, yeah, exactly. Wait, that's no. it. It's physics. Sure. <laughs> physics. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which I did not understand at all. Here's the trick to physics. It's just the opposite of what you think is right. <laughs> I got an A plus in physics in high school. And it's only because I was like, well, the rational side of me is telling me it's answer A. But like the dumb bitch is like, nah, D. And I would always just go with the dumb bitch. And I got it right. It's just the opposite. It's just the opposite of rational thought. Okay. Oh, that's good advice. <laughs> Oh, if you're in physics, right. use my advice. You'll get an A. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's right, girl. Another life story. <laughs> you were a baby when I was doing physics. But yes, I, I could have used your help back then. Okay, so sorry, Maddie, you were saying... I think that um, hot people set boundaries. That's what I think. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, I you know, for that. I am certainly hot. So I will work yes. on the boundary part. For yes. sure. Um, okay, so one of the things I definitely want to talk about, of course, in the time remaining, is launching a podcast in a pandemic, doing so about mental health. Like, what was, why? Like, why? <laughs> and um, and what has the experience been like now, a full year later, all these amazing guests, 55 episodes later? Yeah, take me through the journey. You're gonna make me cry. I don't know. It's okay. So Maddie and I, you know, when we were like fake friends, used to talk about doing a podcast together. No, we were real friends by that point. But we talked about <laughs> <laughs> she quits. Um, no, we talked about doing this podcast because we both had these similar backgrounds, both very much so cared about mental health, and we're just looking for an avenue to talk about it more on like a larger scale because. Whenever we were at a party, whenever we were just like in each other's company, it was just a topic we constantly brought up. And it was very obvious that we both had like a passion for it and were able to talk about it. I mean, we're talking about it at a fucking party. Like we could be drunk acting a fool, but instead we're choosing to talk about like depression and anxiety. So I'm never drunk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. I was drunk. She was high. So <laughs> get it accurate. <laughs> okay. That's the story. So. I mean, that's the first part of it. Like, this was born from a place of actual passion and love for mental health yeah. uh, and mental well-being. And I think that, for me anyways, like, 
the pandemic is what sort of forced us to do it. Like we had talked about it for months before the pandemic was even a thought in anybody's head, but never actually like did anything about it. There was no fire lit under our asses to get it done. And then I think that during the pandemic, especially early on, because what we launched the first episode in April, like maybe a month after we all went into lockdown. Honestly, in my opinion, it was one of those just like weird creative endeavors I decided to do because it's like, I'm at home. What the fuck else am I going to do? You see this green wall over here? That's also a <laughs> pandemic endeavor because I was like, I'm bored. I'm going to paint an accent wall. So I'm glad that I'm seeing it because I heard like the <laughs> description of it where it's like, what's something forest or whatever? Ooh, secluded forest. Secluded forest. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, imagine it. And I was like, yeah, imagine no. it. Yeah, so I'm glad I can see it now. <laughs> I couldn't imagine either. I was like, oh, "What are we saying, bitch?" There she is. She's very secluded. You know, <laughs> it feels like I'm in a in a secret little place in my room. But anyways, like it was just a creative endeavor to do. And I think that another huge key to it for getting started for me was getting over this perfectionism. Just sort of being like, just fucking do it, Sean. Like we were recording remotely. I was recording in this closet over here. Maddie, where were you? Were you in a closet? You were in a closet at first too. And it was just like a shit show. The sound on the first couple of episodes it was so is bad. Bad. Thank you. Thank so you. Bad. It's terrible. <laughs> so bad. Everybody skip episode one through like ten. No, go listen. No, I them. love, and that's the thing is, I <laughs> love listening to it, and it was such a great example because so. I mean, now that you are on the other side of having done it, just like I am, you realize it was so much easier than we were making it, right? And like yeah. everybody has all these like, oh, it needs to be perfect and whatever. And like you could tell you both were fucking nervous. Yeah. And yeah. it was like so charming because I know <laughs> that feeling personally. And then to see the growth, it's like it makes you feel like when somebody you love is really showing up and rocking it, like it creates that kind of like hardcore bond. Yeah. And being able to witness that kind of growth and trajectory. It's been its own mental health journey for me. Like, I think that, like, again, letting go of this perfectionism, learning to not regret everything that I said, not necessarily getting over the nervousness, because I think it still happens, like, when certain guests are on, but just, like, embracing it and embracing that energy and just, like, leaning into it more has been, like, a learning lesson. I think that, like, a year, to sort of close out my thoughts, like, more than a year later now, I'm really proud of it. I am excited for what we have to like for the future that we have. And I think that, I don't know, we just, we've done a lot of good work and I've seen, I've seen the impact it has made on people's lives. I think that the feedback we've gotten both from reviews, from just people texting us, from people that have slid in our DMs, like, I don't care if two people, one person is listening to our podcast and feels like they're getting something out of it. Like, I'll keep doing it as long as that one person, like, is fucking happy. You know, mm -hmm. it might not be a great podcast, but I'll do it <laughs> one person Anything's listening. better than the closet audio. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Truly. Um, I, I want to say thank you for that noticing of and, and the care that you offer that growth. And it feels nice to be loved in that way, you know, and I don't mean loved and like adored. I mean a different kind of love right hearing that though also like as you're saying it is simultaneously so sweet and i'm like oh my god i'm so embarrassed of that <laughs> like, for a bit, I'm like ah! but i i also you know like the clipboard thing once i stopped giving a fuck is and once i started having fun that's when it got better but all of the stuff johnny said true and in that pandemic in that time i was like what i want is to hear that kind of catty thing while also making sure someone I care about is okay. Like I want, that's what I want to hear around me 
being able to offer that to people and offer that to queer people in these like conversations who, you know, I'm thinking of one listener in particular who used to message us all the time that was in this small town and like knew no queer people. And then it was like in fucking COVID. And so they just like, they were cut off from that type of cattiness from, or from that type of thing, or from thinking about what it means to grow up queer. Like those conversations were just out of their life for six plus months. Right. So that was awesome. And I think I just have had this orientation in my head that like telling our stories is a radical act. And especially as queer people, like refusing to remain silent about what hurts and what we love and what's creative and what's beautiful, like what is um, bringing us joy. On last week's episode, your guest was talking, uh, it's not last week at this point. I'm sorry. I don't, uh, episode 21, I think there was this moment. Okay, there was this homework. <laughs> no, it's like, what? Shut up. There was this mention of you know, people are threatened when you are joyful. They're threatened by the concept of living in joy. And mm-hmm. so while we do talk about a lot of pain, I want to make sure that it's coming from a place of joy too, because that's where I'm at. You know, like I can cry and also like be fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. um, some of the guests have just like really changed my world. And I think I feel just really blessed to have been able to do that with a friend and have this kind of consistent check-in that I had no idea that I needed. Um, But building on top of that, like connecting with queer clinicians that I just would have had no contact with without this avenue to do it and learning something about my field and other people's queer experience that just really like are putting together all of these puzzle pieces that I just like didn't even know were missing, you know? Yes. And I, that's one of the things, I mean, I've, I don't know if it's the same for you both, but I've had so many people like come up to me and say like, hey, I have a podcast that I've been thinking about doing, right? It's just like, well, fucking do it. Like really, there's nobody saying you can't. There's no podcast police. Like just do it. The market's saturated. Just continue to saturate it. You know, like it's fine. If there were podcast police, fuck them too. (laughs) (laughs) We're (laughs) ACAP over (laughs) Well, and that's the thing like with YouTube, and this is always my argument. Like when I started YouTube, YouTube is like, 20 times more saturated than podcasts. And you, there are people all the time who, you know, and for me, it took two years to get my first thousand, but now I'm at like 50,000. And it's not because I'm like, so magical. So whatever. It's like, just because I I, I do it. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm I mean, you are. I mean, yeah. AF, but those eyebrows won. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy you brought it up because I was like, damn, I'm getting so up after good. my podcast. Like, so who's girl? Have we talked about this? That they are um, microbladed. Hell yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never done that before. Yeah, okay. I went to um, Erica from Studio Meraki, and I because I have like no, I started filling in my eyebrows at 11. Uh huh. And yeah, so now I have like Cruella DeVille situation. The only thing though, going back to like staring at yourself all the time, is that one of my eyebrows is set higher. Yeah, only you notice that. Yeah, yeah I things I never would have noticed except now I stare at myself all the time. And so I'm actively trying to flex my other eyebrow. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah. we've definitely talked about our eyebrows and which ones we hate. And I'm I'm wearing a hat to like hide the one I hate. So it's fine. I just had oh, an yeah. idea. I just had an idea. We should all three start a podcast called Off Topic and where we just fucking go off topic on everything. Isn't that what we already do? <laughs> Is that the name of this podcast? Uh, please. Let's do. I love the idea of it. <laughs> I would have fucking love that because that's the only thing too that like I think about is... 
because I'm all the time with new people, you don't, you, it's, it's exciting because it's like hit or miss. And mm. you know what I mean? Like it is very like, woo, what's going to happen? But, um, but there's a part of me that's like, oh my gosh, it would be fun to have like hardcore rapport. You know what I mean? So. I know. It's, I mean, look at what we're doing here. This is amazing. Yeah, it's just magical and like the best ever. Okay, um, but okay. I also cut you off. You were talking about how, uh, yes, you're magical and great, but that isn't why your YouTube's great. <laughs> oh, mm. right, 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 right. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. No, thank you for winding that back. No, it's it's just that like I did it and I kept doing it. And oh, then eventually you lay the groundwork and eventually it hits. I feel like people need to feel empowered that they can do it. And that's why I'm so grateful like that your first couple episodes, the quality of the audio is so bad yeah. is because it shows that when you stick with it, it gets phenomenal, you know? Right. And like even with the nerves and things like that, like I had an episode, now we know who it is, but it was with the one with Sonia Renee Taylor, right? It totally triggered my fangirl. Because you love her. Yeah. 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 And I was just like, oh my God. And so I was like overthinking everything. And I was just like, oh my gosh, bitch, you got to show up as yourself. You got to show up as yourself. But then it would be like, but how would I ask this as myself? Because mm -hmm. I don't want to seem like a fangirl. But then I, I feel like I normally would be this complimentary. And I just like was so, it ended up being fine. But I couldn't listen to the episode for two weeks. Yeah. Even in editing, because I was so like in my head about, and she was so generous and wonderful and like all the things. But I really deeply value other people sharing that journey as well, you know, and like saying like, yeah, this is all a new art form for all of us. And yeah. so being able to have people be able to see in real time where you're going, what you're doing, I think is really phenomenal. Most people don't, you know, like they archive their first 500 Instagram posts, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, and I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's amazing when you show all the shit. I just deleted mine, but I think um, <laughs> she was like, I was like, you know what? No, um, but the, uh, something that I was thinking about, uh, there's definitely been episodes where I have been so embarrassed, maybe in the moment or like thinking that thing of like, oh, I came in too hot and whatever. And that may be true. But in listening back, I'm like, oh, that was way worse in my head. And I right. honestly think having this past year of recorded dialogue that without a recording, I would have I would have sat up at night three years later being like, I can't believe you said that fucking thing, you stupid fucking slut bitch. Like, I, that's mm -hmm. what would have happened. And having this thing in my head that is like, oh, I mean, was it a little whatever? But it also was like half of a second that only you are going to hold on to. Everyone else is going to hold the rest of the 27 minutes or whatever the fuck, you know? So yes. having that as a space of documented reflection to be able to look back and offer myself grace, I've also found very helpful. It's, it's, it's really helped undo some of these processes that I've had around replay in my head. Mm -hmm. And I think that it also helps with, I mean, our, our listeners, I think, understand that we're being vulnerable with this podcast even us talking about it right now and making fun of the fact that those first few episodes were trash like just bad like audio quality everyone was so fake nice about it it, it was, was so fake nice. i was it's like fine. oh my god i really like it y'all fucking hate they it hated just it. like it whatever so but we put it out there in the world we were vulnerable about it like we listened back we understood what we needed to like grow from and what we needed to do but we wouldn't have gotten there if we didn't put ourselves out there like that and i think right. that is just a lesson for 
people are always craving vulnerability. I don't think anybody in this on this planet is like, you're vulnerable, like stay away from me. And are more forgiving of it. Like, yeah. If you are naming that you're coming from a place of uh, maybe this isn't perfect. There's much more forgiveness and grace there than coming from it of like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Eat it, bitch. You know, yeah. like that's like, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot easier <laughs> to be like, I mean, it's not great, but they all have another serving or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Just like put a little bit more salt on it next yeah. time. Okay. Like, yeah. thank you for that. Thanks. You know, like, and y'all need to put some salt on your food. <laughs> that was 100%. Like, that could have been a Gia-ism, like, circa 2009. Just, like, I am serving you fucking three Michelin star shit right now. Eat it, bitch. Eat it, Eat it bitch. Um, yeah. Why are yeah. you not enjoying? <laughs> I, I do say that, have, and I'm also going to directly contradict myself in that, like, like on something like Legendary or, like, in Ballroom, like, you have to serve it like that. So it's, like, this mixed thing of, like, there is vulnerability in pretending you're the shit sometimes. I right. think it takes that kind of like stepping back from that conversation every now and again to be like, LOL, you know, like, you know, like, I, <laughs> I think we're confident in our vulnerability. Yes. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, we confidently go into it like, I am confident that we are not going to get this right. <laughs> 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 but we're going to do it. We're going to try it. We're going to make an attempt today and learn from it. And again, this all goes back to, again, what I think this theme has been about. Like, we're not necessarily right. What is our fucking, like, slogan? Like, we may be therapists, but we're not your therapist. Like, I am not here to tell you what to do with your life because I barely have mine figured out. But, like, what I will do is be vulnerable with you and share with you what's going on. There might be some nugget of information in there that's going to be helpful and impactful to your life. And that is the joy of doing this podcast. That is the joy of having the guest on that we have. I think that we there are so many topics we know nothing about or that we like are not super close to. There are communities that we don't know anything about that we don't identify as. And I find a lot of the joy in approaching those subjects coming from this vulnerable place of I'm just here to learn. Or there's that and there's also like what happened with you whereas like i didn't realize or know that we were going to end up having these connections on how we thought right and so then having this conversation that led there and then allowed me to kind of like twist my brain to even think about how do i think about how i think and i thought about it a little bit before but entering into this conversation where someone's like i know what you do and i want to meet you there like that was an offering that a unlocked things for me too, you know? I love that. Yeah, absolutely. The access to people and to conversations, once you set something up, like here's this thing, and if people like it, they're in. And you can have yeah. conversations with people. There's no way you should know. Like, And then yep. you end up building these connections. And I'm like, there's some people, I mean, almost everybody I was like, I should have like, just some said of those people everybody. I fucking hated. <laughs> <laughs> You're like episode seven, three, and four. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Don't Let use those numbers. Let me count them up real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Archive okay. <laughs> So I definitely was a little too honest for my own good. But um, <laughs> no, same. But there are a lot same. of people who've been on the podcast that I just really like I feel like I'm going to know them for a long time. And yeah. there are other people for whom like this was more transactional, but I'm still so grateful for whatever was brought up and yeah. having the platform to be able to say something. And I'm just, yeah, I'm, I think there's so much, there's so much of a transformative power 
in being able to create something that's outside of yourself that can impact other people. And there's so many different ways to do that. But podcasting is just I don't, the long form nature of it, I think, yeah. makes it so perfect for connecting in like a really, really deep way. And I'm just, yeah, I'm so, so grateful. I started getting access to what you're talking about of like offering creation for something and then it, it exists in conversation with these other people and how they absorb it and then how that gets regurgitated back to you. And like that happened to me through drag, but I was like, oh, this storytelling thing is actually it gives back to me continuously despite it existing in this like four minutes in a club or whatever. And then what was bothering me was that I didn't have control over the whole narrative. And like, whether it's narcissistic or not, having a podcast allows me to like, say, here's what I'm thinking. And here's what I thought about what I was thinking. Here's what I feel about what I thought about what I was thinking. And anyway, like, how are you? And like, it, <laughs> as opposed with drag, you're like, eat it, you know, like, that's it. You know, like, right. whatever. Yeah, I relate. I relate. And okay, so I, we're, we're just going to need to have you both back on. We need to do a spinoff show, like some yeah, sort of situation because I have something. like so much more that I wanted to cover, but we have to wrap it up at some point. Yeah. But I did want to ask right before we get into the G-Speed round. Um, G-Speed? Oh, yeah. yeah vroom, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Actually, I'll this take is super drug. tangential and like really not um, a fast story, but when I was a baby gay, it was at Pride because I wanted, oh, there were so many things I wanted to ask. So we definitely have to have you back. Okay. But this one Pride, my favorite, bestest gay friend, Kibo, that we were like gay babies together in high school, whatever. We're hanging out. It's at the end of the night. I'm sober because I was always sober. She is drunk as shit. And she's like this little teeny mighty mouse. It was her, my sister, who's also gay, and then her girlfriend. And we're all walking out and it's just like, well, Gia, you're going to have to drive Kibo's Jeep home Hi. and uh, we'll follow you because obviously bitches do drive to drive. <laughs> anyway, so we're walking out and we all have these crazy outfits on. All of a sudden, my friend Kibo just like takes off like a cheetah and just starts sprinting down to the end. And we're like, what I the fuck? It. So Katerin, my sister's girlfriend, takes off after her, running, running, running. And all of a sudden, Kibo just stops, turns around and looks at her. And she goes. I'm fast, huh? <laughs> she was like, yeah, bitch. She was like, I love you, bitch. You're drunk. And yes, you are incredibly you are fast. fast you for are somebody fast, who should have no equilibrium at this point. So you ready? Yes. You cannot no. overthink it. No. You just have to say the first thing that comes to your brain. Okay? Oh, no. oh God. <laughs> Pre-tween heartthrob. Go. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I don't know. I feel like that's what you're ah! supposed to say. Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen from Star Wars. Yeah. Oh my gosh, from Star Wars. Oh yeah, I remember. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When you are, let's, Shawnee, let's start with you. When you are feeling your fullest fantasy, like you are sex on a stick, you are like just emanating glitter. Okay. Like, paint us a picture of what that looks like in ten words or less. Actual body glistening on the beach in little short shorts, little poom poom shorts. That's yeah. Yes. That's it. Oh my gosh, that makes me that makes me the happiness. Okay, <laughs> Maddie, for you, without thinking, just immediately off the top of your brain, name the top three dream guests you would love to have on the podcast, dead or alive, whomever you can get anyone you want. Okay, I'm sending little, them the email. Little not sex. Um, Miley Cyrus, 
And uh, Laomi, legendary. Yes. I agree with two out of those three guys. Um, I, I mean, okay, but I, I feel like not, I mean, out of the realm of possibility. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna... I mean, don't hold me to it. Like, this <laughs> 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 is being next recorded, week. right? <laughs> yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like that could happen, especially I would love to talk to Miley. Um, yeah, okay, okay, I'm focusing. Um, <laughs> let's, let's just, let's do both of you rapid fire. So same question, and then each of you can take turns, but answers from both of you. Okay, ready? Okay, okay. you start. Biggest mental health hurdle? Uh, my parents. There you go. <laughs> Perfectionism. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, failure that turned it out to be a gift. The first few episodes of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, just uh, being black. Yes. That- that I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, mic drop moment. Okay. <laughs> if each of you could wave a magic wand and dispel one myth or instill one piece of internal knowing to give to all of humanity, what would it be? Like some people are actually dumb. Maybe don't put so much faith in humanity. Sorry, I said it. <laughs> um, yeah, and I feel like this comes full circle to your trauma baby story. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. There are, there are some nuggets from that I will still hold on to. I don't put a I'm lot of I'm truly unable to think because of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to say uh, fuck what beauty is. Mm, okay. Most retro thing that you are living for right now? Uh, jumpsuits and wide leg pants. Dang, girl. Um, the little glasses, like triangles. Oh, cute. Okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Last question. What does it mean to be a bold bitch? For me, it means being unapologetically, genuinely and authentically yourself with the openness to experience more things. I like how you figured that out as you were talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's speed rides. G speed. I know, I know. I know. I'm sorry. I like, I'm only making funny so I didn't have to say something. Um, <laughs> I am going to say, uh, being a bold bitch is uh, speaking truth to power and not being afraid to do it. I love you both. Thank you so much for coming on. How can people connect with you? How can they follow you? How can they obsess over you? Give them some actionable, what can they do? Maddie closes out at the end of every podcast episode. You can follow us at at QBT pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can email us if you're interested in joining us for an episode at QBT podcast at gmail.com. Um, and honestly, follow us on Instagram. That's where almost all posts and new things are coming. And we do have new things coming by the time this comes out. So that's that's the place at QBT pod. Yay. Okay. I love you both so much. Thank you for coming on for being raw, vulnerable, gorgeous, fantabulous humans that you are i definitely feel like we need to be friends irl even yeah, though moving is happening and are you vaxxed yeah i'm double vaxxed there we go we can hang out whenever then girl come on okay. let's okay. do it okay um, let's go. that sounds fun um genuinely though this podcast and who you are is um genuinely very inspiring to me and i we got randomly connected and i i told you this when i talked to you but we got randomly connected and i knew of your work but like 
the minute that we sat down, I have told everyone since that episode, I'm like, that was one of the best conversations that I'd had with someone, period, in a long time. And then getting to go back and listen to these other conversations that you've unearthed with other people. I'm like, oh, my God, this skill is in a yeah. person. You're so good at it. I'm so grateful to be here. You're amazing. Thank you. Right. I know you are absolutely in love with them, just the same as I am. Let's just love them together. Let's listen to their podcast episodes. Let's just like show up for them, like love bomb their Instagram and Twitters, just doing all the things, showing up for them. All right. This week, I hope that you love yourself just to the fullest of your capacity, that you are really honest and open with your needs and really honoring them and showing up as the fullest, most fabulous version of you. I love you. And I will see you next week. Bye. If you love this episode and the show, be sure to rate and review on iTunes and share it out in the world with a friend, family, frenemy, whatever feels good. You can follow us on Instagram at The Bold Bitch Podcast, and we're waiting for you at theboldbitch.com slash mafia. See you next week. 